You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we turn to you now, Lord, as the master teacher, Lord, as the comforter of souls, Lord, as the Lord, as the God who calls sinners to repentance. Father, I pray that you would use this text this morning in, in remarkable, remarkable ways upon our hearts. Lord, that we would know you in a, a more deeper and fuller way. Lord, and that we would arise to the occasion of the call of righteousness upon our lives. Lord, I ask that you would do this, Lord, within us, for your name's sake. Amen. As we continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we return back to the examples that Jesus is giving to us as he tells us, as he tells us that we must have a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees if we are to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is a magnificent statement for the Pharisees were the most righteous ones of Jesus' day. They were the super holy people that everyone knew if anybody was in the kingdom, it was them. And yet Jesus said, your righteousness has to supersede them. The Pharisees were the conservatives of their day. They were those who knew God's word. They were the ones who had the right behavior and tried to be good. And yet, they missed the Savior. It is my hope that that would not be us. That we wouldn't just have the right behavior, say the right words, have the right belief system, but that we would truly know Jesus Christ. And so, as we turn to his word, we come to a passage that has a lot of phrases in it our Western culture has adopted and in some ways just wore out. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. And there's so many phrases that are attached to this that I wonder if the message of Jesus is diluted because of them. For instance, I've heard it said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth leaves everyone blind and toothless. Turn the other cheek is well and good, but you only have two cheeks. Sure, go the extra mile, 
but don't go an inch further. Does that capture what Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage? Perhaps. Perhaps. I've found that our difficulty with this passage is that we come to it with an understanding that the principle, an eye for an eye and a, and a uh, tooth for a tooth, is a bad law. And that Jesus is correcting this bad law. But remember, Jesus is not coming to contradict the Old Testament law. I mean, for crying out loud, he started with murder. Thou shalt not murder. He was upholding the Old Testament law as good and true, but he was showing that you cannot murder someone and still be unrighteous in heart. You cannot commit adultery and still have an unrighteous heart. You can fulfill your oaths and yet do so with an unrighteous heart. And so here he turns to an idea of retaliation, seeking vengeance. Jesus is trying to show us true righteousness. He's trying to show us a righteousness of a heart and not just right behavior. So in order to better understand this passage, we need to explore, gain an understanding of what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth means. What's its purpose? Because Jesus was upholding this law as a good law, as a right law. It's found in many places in the Old Testament, but one of them is Leviticus chapter 24. It says, if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, shall it be done to him? Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person, it shall be given to him. This is a good law for a culture, for a nation. It's a law to limit retaliation. And it does so in two ways. It limits severe retribution that doesn't fit the crime. So it's, they stole my shovel. So I steal their backhoe. So they steal my combine. So I go and burn their field down or something. As it is done to you, or as you've done it, so it will be done to you. So it limits, if I'm offended, I can do no more damage than what was done to me. It limits severe retribution that doesn't fit the crime. But it also limits self-appointed vigilante. You can't just go on by yourself and do these things. There is a structure, a process that is to be set forth in the accomplishment of you being um, justified, of, of the crime being satisfied. So an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a good legal principle, and it's what our our legal system is based upon. And yet everyone knows our legal system has its faults as well. Is it because of the laws? 
or is it because of us? See, when the laws don't work, what we want to do is point to the bad laws and make new laws. But the issue is that there's no amount of laws that can make a people good. Because humans have a tendency to manipulate the law to get what we want. We want to justify our actions. So we can use the law in a lawful way, but not in a good way. The purpose of the law is to hem in our selfishness. It's to put boundaries on our sinfulness. So that we aren't as sinful as we want to, to keep us from doing the things that we may be prone to do because the consequences aren't worth it. So while the laws may be good and while God's law is righteous, it does not mean that it's always used for righteousness. Even good laws can be used to harm others or justify evil. And that is what people were doing in Jesus' day, as well as our own. To demand recompense for wrongdoing or perceived wrongdoing rather than forgiving offenses. They were using the law which God gave them to promote righteousness as a tool for their own self-justice and vengeance. How can I manipulate the law to get from this person what I want? How can I manipulate the law to prove a political point? A good law, a right law, twisted and falsely applied becomes a bad law. The righteousness of the law is drained from it. And in Jesus' day, he uses this example, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, because that is what was being done to it. Jesus gives us these examples. And it is important to remember that these examples, in these examples, Jesus is, is not creating new laws. He is, especially in this one, he is casting a vision of true righteousness. He's not giving us a new set of principles. He's giving us a new view of what is ethical, of what is moral, of what is good, of what is righteous. Jesus is trying to show again and again. I mean, he uses six, six examples to do this. We have one more next week. He uses six examples to show us that it's not about behavior. It's about the heart. And we see, especially in this passage, that if we're going to seriously follow Jesus, it means that we have to think hard about what he said. Jesus uses shocking examples because he wants to jolt us 
out of the normal view of things, out of our normal, regular understanding of what is right and wrong, what is okay and what is bad. And yet, all the while Jesus is doing this, he does expect us to use wisdom and the application of his teaching. And I'll try to demonstrate this as we move along. So in this particular example, Jesus is a great preacher. And so he gives four illustrations. Four illustrations of what he's talking about. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus isn't saying that you should offer yourself up as a punching bag for bullies. Just thought I'd get that out there right now. Because we live in a culture that doesn't understand hyperbolic language very well. Doesn't understand what a hyperbole is, even though we use them all the time. I've been waiting forever. That's a hyperbole. It's not, I haven't literally been waiting forever. It's just a way to express how long I feel like I've been waiting. I've been waiting a really long time. And instead of saying it that way, I just say, I've been waiting forever. Or as my children are saying about Christmas when they see their, their presents wrapped, I can't wait. Well, you, you can wait. It's just an expression that they don't want to wait. So we use hyperboles in everyday language, but it's like when we read the Bible, Jesus can't use them apparently. Jesus is not saying that if someone comes and punches you, you have to stand there and wait till they're done. What Jesus is saying is that you can let yourself be offended and not take action against the aggressor. That's what righteousness does. You can just take the hit and move on and not demand recompense. So this doesn't mean you have to let your spouse abuse you. It doesn't mean you have to take it. And it doesn't apply to defending the innocent. If someone comes and is threatening my family, they've got to get through me to get to them. That is righteous. That is me being a good husband. That is me loving my family. It would be unrighteous and unloving for me to just lay down and let them have their way with us. But it does mean that you don't have to go to Facebook and blow up about telling the whole world when you're offended. People don't care. We can be offended and get over it. That's what righteousness does. That's what being poor in spirit means. It means I don't think so highly of myself that I've got to let the world know what I think or that I have to demand that the person correct the damage that they've done to me. I can move on. My identity is not found in those things. I trust that God will make it right. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. 
This example is used a little bit less than turn the other cheek. No one says, give away your clothes, as a pithy saying to encourage righteousness. But in, in, uh, in Exodus, which is where these laws are found, the law says that if you take your neighbor's cloak in a pledge, in a deal, you have to return it before sundown. So what is Jesus actually saying here? The, the, the cloak and tunic are, are phrases we don't use. But from what I understand, it actually references nice clothes. So you would wear a tunic uh, as the, the undershirt of a suit. You put your, your suit coat on top. And it would be kind of what's against the skin. Of course, we have multiple layers. We have you know, undershirts and then a shirt and then a vest and then a tie and then a cloak or then a coat. But it was, it was, it was used as a, as a um, fancy clothing, a, a nice attire to wear. And so to give them your tunic, to give them your cloak, is to essentially hand them over your nice clothing. Most people wouldn't have that. Most people would have just one or two pairs of clothing, of just everyday clothes, that would get washed, I don't know, a couple times a month. So what is Jesus saying in encouraging us to give the extra when someone is suing us? Jesus is teaching us that we need to be willing to give up what is necessary for the sake of our relationships. We need to hold on to things loosely so we can hold closely relationships. If someone comes along and thinks that you've wronged them, be willing to part with more than they demand of you to make it right. Because righteousness is found not in your things. Righteousness is found in the way you treat people. Now, I said earlier that Jesus expects us to act wisely in the application of these sayings. So it would be unwise to part with things if someone is just taking advantage of you because they know that you're an easy target. So you have to be wise in your dealings to know whether this person is actually really offended by what you've done and you need to restore that relationship or is this person just going about seeking what they can gain and take advantage of people? There's a difference. And Jesus expects us to have wisdom as we apply his teaching. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In Jesus' day, the, 
Israel was occupied by the Romans. And the Jews were not considered, most Jews, I guess I should say, were not considered Roman citizens. And so a Roman soldier could walk up alongside you and commandeer you. I mean, he could take you and use you for his purposes and carrying his armor for a designated purpose. So he comes up to you, you're going about your day, you're walking home from work, from the field, or going to the field, or going to lunch, or going to the market, and he walks alongside you and demands that you carry his armor a mile past where your destination is. Not only is that inconvenient, it's insulting. It's, it's belittling you. Jesus says, don't just go with them a mile. Go two. Jesus, you don't understand what, they, what we mean to them. We're, we're nothing. We're animals. We're livestock to them. They don't care about us. They don't care about my day. Go with them two miles. I can't help but think about let your light shine before men when I read this. This is an example of shining your light. People aren't used to you doing things that are inconvenient for you and having a good attitude about it. People aren't used to others going the extra mile to benefit someone else at their own inconvenience. Who does that? Righteousness. Righteousness does that. So when your boss interrupts your day with a new project, take it with a cheerful heart and do it to the best of your ability. When your spouse says they need you to stop by the store when you have five things you want to accomplish when you get home, do it with a smile on your face and ask, is there anything else we need? Is there any other store you need me to go to? When you get home from a long day and your kids just want to play with you, and you're tired and all you want to do is sit down and turn on the game. Play with them. Laugh with them. Love them. Care for them. Give yourself to the benefit of others. And watch how you can change their day as well as your own. That's what righteousness does. Jesus is casting a new vision of righteousness. It's not just what can I get away with. It's how much can I give. That's exactly what we see in the next illustration. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse one who would borrow from you. Jesus says that we are to be compassionate upon those in need. We are to take into consideration the genuine need of others. 
in Proverbs. We can read, don't turn a blind eye to those in need and be generous in your giving. The righteous gives and does not hold back. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Righteousness meets the needs of others. Now again, we need to couple this with wisdom. There's a story of a young man who went to school at Cambridge. And at Cambridge, there's just a line as, as, as a students who supposedly come from very wealthy families. They, they walk down the road in, into the campus and it's just lined with beggars. And the beggars can spot the easy targets. And so if you give to one, suddenly you're flocked with all of them. And they don't let you pass because they know you're a softie. So there was a, a student who, who literally gave all his money over the course of a semester to these beggars. He just couldn't tell them no. And so a professor came to him and he was going to have to drop out. And the professor says, there is a life lesson for you to learn here. As smart as you are, you need to learn this simple lesson. He went and showed them these people out in the community. Some of them didn't have a need at all. They were just a professional beggar. Others used that money for drugs and drink. He says, if you're going to give, know who you're giving it to. It's not about just freely giving away your things. It's about actually meeting people's needs. How can we meet the needs of our community? It's not just something we can throw our money at. You've got to actually get in the trenches with them to even know their needs in the first place. Jesus is casting a new vision of righteousness. Not just one that adheres to a law, but one that takes it further, one that understands what true righteousness is. We see this echoed in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. True righteousness doesn't demand upon our rights. I have a right to be compensated for the wrong done to me. Yeah, you do. You do have that right. But that's not what the Christian asks. The Christian gives thought to do what is honorable for all. 
God's righteousness rises above man's felt fairness. The world in which we live is all about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's good for a legal system. But it is a terrible rule for personal relationships. It is a terrible rule for one who's seeking to live in God's righteousness. So as we go about our lives, as we interact with the people God has put in our lives, our family members, our children, our neighbors, our co-workers, our bosses, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us keep our eyes on the vision of righteousness that Jesus has set before us and not get caught up in the legalities of the system. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would use your word to impress upon our hearts the truth of Christ. Lord, I ask that you would move upon us in such a way as to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Lord, that Jesus Christ didn't just come as a baby and remain that way. He came and lived a life of righteousness. He came and taught us truth. And he came to die to save us from our sins as a sacrifice so that we can be free, so that we can be made new, so that we can know the fullness of joy at your right hand. Lord, I ask that you would do all this and more. In Christ's name, amen.